what are you talking about is sort of Shastra of science and the science of Shastra. And the context is the following. A few things. Why we're talking about this and how is it relevant to Prolog? Right? And then we sort of spend a quite a bit of time, I'm going to take some time talking about science as such, what we have been accultured to in our education system and what it is now. Understanding Shastra, I'll spend a little bit of time. There's a, this was discussed in detail in SI1. I'll refer to a couple of papers. And then the key thing is to talk about, if I look at Shastra as a scientist in the modern world, versus if I were to ask the question, is there a Shastra behind science as it's practiced? Right? And then what it means for us. So what's the background? Hopefully everyone can see this. On the left-hand side are the key Pollock's thesis, sort of a variant of what was mentioned earlier. So primary thing being Shastra's limit creativity, limit progress. Shastras do not permit em empiricism in everyday practice. Right? And then Shastras discourage individual agency. So each individual cannot add to Shastra. He's already limited. Right? By definition, because Shastra are sort of static. Right? And the key thing is there's been a in the in SI1 and in the book by Rajivji. The key question when you ask, why has it been done this way? So, right, as, a, as a sort of a layman, when I first read the book, the questions in my mind were, what is the motivation behind these claims? Are they really supported by facts? How are the facts being gathered? Right? Is the author even qualified to interpret these facts? Is even the method of interpretation valid? Whatever it picks from Indian literature, Indian shastras, and put a context to it. And sort of fundamentally, the thought process is, putting everything else aside is motivation, Primarily, it's a sense of arrogance. Right? It's hubris. Why you make this statement? Because right now, I feel I'm on top of the world. Right? And, and, the, and the other thing is, the bigger question after being in the Western academic system, I ask myself, how come a social scientist has this much of impact? And, and, the, and, the, and the thing goes like this. The primary success of Western science, natural sciences, physics is the queen of the sciences, supported by mathematics, then biology, chemistry. Right? And then it sort of drops down. Right, then come economics, and then everyone else. Right now, and then the second thing is the machinery that sustains that knowledge. The people, the systems, the academic journals, what we call the ivory tower. Right, they control the knowledge creation process. As long as you affiliate with that system, everything is true. Because you have to, that's why we are here, all of us are here, fighting this machinery to establish a context for what we are. Right, so you can publish anything, like the question, what is the motivation? Even talking about God doesn't make sense to you to be very honest, right? And then publish and dissimulate with impunity, right? And then our folks read it, and then it comes back to us, and the question we're asking, why am I hearing this? Right, so the thought process is, hey, where is this coming from? So the key thing, themes, right? Shastra is static, limiting, as compared to Western science. Is this even a fair hypothesis? Lack of empiricism in Shastra-centric approach. Is current science math even empirical? Nothing new can come from Shastras. What is the Western sense of new? New from what? Right? Is it even relevant? What is the new stuff that's come from Western science? Right? Today morning we heard about the use of mercury for Vimana Shastra. Right now when I go talk to my peers, they will say, show me the proof. Right? I don't have the proof. Right? I have to trust on the faith of the word of our previous rishis and so on. Right? We will find it. Right? We lost thousand years of our history, we will find it. Shastra is stifling individual agency. Nothing is further from the truth. Right? Each day each of us is permitted to explore but we go to a system that was defined by them, so we don't explore. Right? So the points to ponder, understanding Western science. What's its roots? Its genealogy. 
right? Who are the gatekeepers of that knowledge? Right now we talk about academia and universities, but in 200 years ago, 300 years ago, it was the church, right? The tools, methods of science, right? The role of theory versus empirism, and the philosophy of science. See, when we do Shastra and I practice Shastra, I already trust it. They had to have a separate system of people called the philosophers of science who would ask the question, is the science I'm doing even moral? Which itself is another set of, creates jobs for a whole set of people. Right? And then understand, right? that's the first part. Second part is understanding Shastra. This has been talked about, I'll talk about very little about it. Then the science of Shastra. The key takeaway for me is, Shastra is a much, much bigger concept. I, we are spending time trying to embed that into some Western notion of science. This is far, far bigger. Science has no place for God. It's a completely rational concept. Right? So those are, God is dealt with by the school of definity. The school of definity is a concept because you have to fit into the academic machinery. It's not something separate where our mathas and stuff. It has to go back to the academic system because you can bless it. So it's all very, very coordinated, which we when you step back and ask the question why it's been set up this way, you really feel that, hey, I'm, I've gotten into some big mess. Right? And then the Shastra off or the Shastra behind the science as it's practiced now. What could it be? Right? I include science and math. For me, it sort of means, because math is a language of science or the West practices it. So simple question, was there real science before 500 years ago? How did Renaissance just happen in Europe when we have history of civilizations for 10, 15 centuries before that, where there has never been a concept of Renaissance? Right? So these were fundamental. Where did suddenly the burst of knowledge come? That people, populations have been large, technology has been around. Even the Egyptians never claimed Renaissance. Right? So where is the proof? Right? We have been taught, we wrote our history exams on this, but that's a question to ask. Then when you dig deeper, the bigger question is, everything is attributed to the Greeks. I have no way of checking. I really don't know. So when they ask evidence, you put the evidence beyond me. And how do I check? Right? There's a key connection. Anybody who tried to establish connect to the Greeks was summarily dismissed in a variety of ways. Right? So there was some literature which showed that the Greeks got it from the Egyptians. Right? And there is sort of... There's actual textual evidence. The key question is, the actual people who wrote it are inaccessible. Right? For a very, so, so again, you ask the question, why, why, why is this? Right? And then, when you go to Raju's literature on his website and think, did Euclid exist? Did Plato exist? Did Ptolemy exist? So from sixth grade, I've been learning about them. Are they even true? When you ask that question, it's really shocking. Right? What did I spend my time, 15 years, getting through high school and grad school to do this? Right? Does it even make sense? I could have done it much faster, much simpler. I could be out of school at the age of 12 instead of going till 16. If I didn't have to waste time doing all this. Right? And then, the key question, right? When you actually ask the math and you attribute, they didn't have the mathematical system to do astronomy. They didn't have the mathematical tool system to do things like Jyotisha. Right? So where are we assuming? When I say Herodotus or somebody com computed the circumference of the earth and things like that. Right? There is no actual evidence. Let's go some time in the future, rolling time, the clock ahead. Right? When you come to modern day maths, and let's accept Renaissance happened or something happened. Math, arithmetic, algebra from Arabs to Europe, who got it from India? And possibly a bit from the Chinese. Right? And then when you dig deeper, Raju actually shows Copernicus. Did he really propose something new with his right, sun at the center of the solar system kind of story? Right? It was actually mentioned in our literature. Newton, Tycho, Kepler, Euler. What did they do, do new? 
Right? When you ask, a lot of them are variants of our schools of thought, things that have been published. Right? In that community, it was not formulated. The whole idea of an Indian scientist at that time was not to put his name on something and say it's mine. It was never done. That was, it was for the masses by definition. So this whole notion of publishing, this whole academic, and then a group of people blessing you that you are the owner of the subject is all a very Western notion. It didn't exist. So now when you go and ask who did it, that's not even a question to be asked. Right? Aryabhata solved differential equations numerically 10 centuries before Newton did. Right? So when you ask these questions, it's now called the Euler method, by the way. Right? Because somebody wrote, wrote history, that's what we are taught. And there are many, many more pieces of evidence as being discovered. If you read uh, the collection of science books and things like that, slowly people are collecting this information. The key takeaway, the history of science as we learn and imbibe is not what it really is. Right? That's, that's a key point. Why are things this way? The, the church was the gatekeeper. Right? It had a big role to play in why this has been this way. Right? Writing false history is a classic technique. Right? You wipe out all evidence. You write the theory and keep that as the only sole truth that if you want it, you go back to it. So you sustain this over n number of generations, you have the hegemony, and then it sustains as true. This need not be the case, but that's what's happened. Right? So we got it from the Brits and this is what we are following. Knowledge transmitted from Arabs was either modified, attributed to fictitious Greeks. They didn't pick anybody else but the Greeks. Right? They couldn't go to the Romans, they couldn't go to anything. They went three, four centuries beyond that. Right? And claim as once new invented or discovered. And then the notion of belief in laws, the notion of even a law, right, is not bad there in Indian Shastra. Things can be modified, things can be changed. And why should it be Newton's law? Right? The notion of law, something is structured, predefined, stands outside, is a very Christian theological view of looking at the world. It's a dogma. Right? One of the questions I hypothetically ask my friends and stuff is this. So what if we had started instead of Newton's laws in 1600, we had started with quantum mechanics? What would have happened? It's something you can think about. Right? After 18, 1920, little, very little physics thing has happened. Right? And then, as I said, they control the knowledge. So purveyors of intellectual genocide. So anything that was against the church dogma, didn't fit in, or could raise questions, was killed. People were killed, books were destroyed. Or they had to run away from them. Right? So it's very interesting. When you go look up, search on Wikipedia, the time period of Inquisition, and the church harassed people, and the time period of renaissance. The timelines are the same. Very, very simple. Right? How could one good thing be happening and one bad thing be happening? What's going on here? Right? And anything against the church doctrine, right? there was a, before, church itself was written in the 4th century, was either destroyed, relevant ones were again attributed to fictitious actors, and so on. Key takeaway, today's math and science that we learn in school is deeply influenced by Christian theology. And digging deeper, right? The method of Western science. We talk about Francis Bacon, we talk about Octavio Hume, and so on and so forth. Right? The whole thing is somebody proposes something, or a group of people says this is the way it is. And then it's the job of the experimenter who is treated as a lowly guy to prove it's wrong. Right? By definition. So empiricism comes after theory, and then you iterate by observations. Right? If the empirical so that group of people has the authority to refute the empiricism if they don't agree with it. So it could get filtered there. So you have to submit your paper. If they, if they don't agree with it, whatever proof you have doesn't make any difference. Right? You control knowledge that way. Right? So, so the 250 years when you talk about, so when you read the structure of scientific revolutions and things like that, 
things could have gone much faster. Even let's say we started with Newton, we could have gotten to quantum mechanics far earlier if things were controlled and done in a very clean way, right? which was not the case. Because the church had to make sure every bit coming out was cut. So at the end of the day, the key editor was the church, not all the journals, none of these things. Right? And then the language of science was a math. Right? Again, the reliance on proof. So you relied on, first you had to infer everything, then you would check. So you had a mathematical system to infer, completely independent of reality. So you could infer a lot of things that are not even real. Right? But you could postulate and you could, you could be rewarded for it. It's somebody else's job to prove that it exists or not. Right? So there was already a dichotomy. So one of the key examples that was mentioned in the earlier talk also, the ability to, I don't know how many of you know the four, map, four color map theorem. The basic hypothesis is, if I give any map, so for example, let's take the 27 states in India and ask somebody to paint, I need only four colors to paint everything. So that no two colors, same colors are adjacent. Right? That's the, four. the first proof of it in the 70s came through enumeration. Somebody took the time to lay it out. That was not ac accepted as proof because it was not in the formal framework. Just a dogma, nothing, nothing else. Which was a way, right? So, so that's how it works. So science actually, the whole machinery of science reflects the theological notions. Right? And then logic as a method of argumentation. Right? Apart from it being Boolean, either you accept me or you don't. Right? That was it. So primary use was to convert you or convince you of my position. It was not as a means of reasoning about things, all that came later. Right? And multi-valued logic puts you in a hole because there are yay, nay and something else. Then it's much harder. Right? So key takeaways, current academic machinery still harbors this, not only in the social sciences, very heavily in the natural sciences. This is the machinery everybody publishes. This is the machinery which claims are made. Just, just to sort of round off the story on science, social science method, if you actually go do a Google search for social science methods, First time I went to a social science course, it was a shocker for me that there was a special course on methods of science. Right? There are some innumerable methods, how you collect data, how you do this. Right? It's like a Cambrian explosion. Right? So for every theory I find a method. Right? That's the way it works. It's not that I have a consistent sort of way of doing methods and then come up with... Right? So every, for every research query, you do half-baked this, half-baked that. And where does philology fit in? Especially in the latest Avatar, right? The 3D filler. It's way out there. Right? So it's not even sort of a standard Western scientist would consider it as science. Many of them are not aware of this, but right? would they even acknowledge this? And the other key question, even if I ask as a scientist, how many minutes? Five minutes. All right, thanks. Why does it only apply to text? Right? So Pollock's methods are on the fringe boundaries. So unfortunately, we have to spend the time defending ourselves against this. Right? And then the last bit about philosophy of science. Right? The real, all of this is to check that machinery itself. Right? Again, the key takeaway is the philosophical basis of science is still. They still don't have agreement on what philosophy of science is. In summary, the history of science is not what is portrayed. Science is controlled. Should we even follow this? Should we, with our own knowledge system, should we even follow this? Is a question we have to ask ourselves. Right? Shastra. Right? Quick summary. It's a foundational construct of our civilization. It basically is the union of everything that can be discovered. Because it's from the divine. Right? All things knowable, doable, practical. Right? And they are compatible with each other. Dharmically. Right? I don't even have to question when I follow the Shastra, something is going to go wrong. Most of the time I can just follow blindly. Right? That trust should be there. 
So the recent books by Rajiv Ji and the Infinity Foundation and many others, right? How we, we are still collecting snapshots of it because they're lost. Many of them have been taken overseas. Right? But the key point is Shastra evolves continuously as practitioners evolve. And they choose to adapt and modify within that framework. As long as you follow the Shastra and modify, it will be consistent. Right? Key features of Shastra. Right? The why, how to, we don't even have to question. I don't need a separate philosophy to check it. It's already built in into the process. Right? The divine is inherent, holistic. Right? It has sustained us through the centuries. Right? Versus science-driven activity. Yes, we have seen advancement in sort of technical, meteorological things, but right, nothing much more. Key takeaway, science and methods have only discovered parts of Shastra. Many aspects are not even within the purview of science. Right, so that's why I split the subject as science, humanities, arts, a system we don't need to follow. Right, and then scientific aspects of it. Now that we understood what science is, what Shastra is, if I ask the question, what are the scientific aspects of Shastra, there are concepts that science even doesn't capture. Right, for us, as was mentioned earlier, right, it's a pri we believe in a primordial consciousness, everything else is an evolute from that, Atma is one of the concepts, doesn't have a place, as Rajiv calls it, a non-translatable. Right? It's not a soul. It's something else far beyond. Right? Humanity is just one. We are in the, way down there in the totem pole. We don't view the world in an anthropocentric way. Right? We, we don't believe that. That's not the way we operate. Right? And then different darshanas posit different combinations of this. But the key thing, objective, is to harmonious living. Right? It has it's a completely different objective. Other concepts of science like space, time, all exist. Right? And the key other thing is they are validated by first-person empiricism. I don't need an external observer to repeat the experiment. As long as 10 people say this, if they follow the dharma, if they all agree, we trust that it is true. Right? So the fundamental thing is on faith. Right? And then it gets validated. You validate it for yourself. Let me move last bit, couple of minutes, I'll wrap up. Right? Viewing science as sastra, what does it enable? Right? Only Artha, possibly Kama with all this new social engineering, but other than that, nothing much. What are its boundaries? Right? Science doesn't have to know. There are so many things that science cannot answer. Right? Finally, when I look at it as a practitioner or who was trained to it in the past 40 years, and now when I go and look at the step back, it's been a total disaster. Right? The key takeaway, science is a very small subset of Shastra. So that itself gives Pollock the sort of the energy to come and say, this is this, this is that, right? So revisiting the thesis, Shastra says, no. Lack of empiricism, no. Nothing new can, that is also no. And Shastra says, nothing could be further from the truth. Each Shastra is practiced, was practiced by families. Every family in different contexts would do different things. We don't even know the history. And the past 40 years, our knowledge of our myth, history is through Amar Chitragata, to be very honest. And other than that, very little people know, unfortunately. Right? So how do we correct this? So what are the next steps? Actually taking the time, sitting down and actually defining. Going back to our Shastra structures, the Vidyasthanas and then learning. And sort of laying it out in the formal structure. Right? Collect living examples of Shastra. I'm quite sure in our vast country there are so many people who are still practicing and it's evolving. Right? Delineating the boundaries of Western science. That there's not, no single place where the, nobody has asked the question, what cannot Western science answer? Everywhere we see the scientific method. I want to do social science, I see the scientific method. I want to talk about the mind, I see the scientific method. Is that a fair question? So when you talk about embodied consciousness and stuff, we don't know. And then what methods can Shastra 
offer for science. Right? If you want to do influence it positively. So I stop with this. Thank you. Thank you, Srimadhu. From what I understand, you have made a distinction between science and Shastra. Initially, I thought that both are one and the same. But then the Shastra of science and science of Shastra, when you use these terms, we have to definitely make a distinction between these two. Otherwise, the title will be rather vague or meaningless. <laughs> so, you have made a distinction saying that Shastra is something more than science. And then it adds something like an ethical value or a dharmic value. Some dharmic, it leads to a dharmic civilization. So that is, I think that is what is the basic, uh, say, um, distinction you have made. Is it, is it, am I right or is there something no, more? That, that's, a, that's a very fair point. First so that thing. is one thing. And then again, you also could have referred to the tradition of Shastra Charcha. After all, we are all called argumentative Indians. And then the, this tradition of Shastra Charcha was very much there. Veda, of course, is Brahmana for all the people. But then the, all the people who accepted Veda as Brahmana, they themselves debated. They debated on so many points. So which means that they didn't accept anything. Uh, they understood and then they did not accept and then they, each man had his own understanding of, uh, say, what Veda said about, of course, the ultimate reality. Not only about that, subsequently also, of course, on all other things, of course, on mathematics, there is no great debate. Jain mathematics is the same as Hindu mathematics or Buddhist mathematics and Jain logic is, of course, logic is slightly different because they want to prove something else there. Logic is basically used to... Uh, say, uh, arrive at their own conclusions about uh, whether it is uh, Shunya or whether it is Brahman or what, whatever it is. So, logic may be slightly different, but all said and done, ours is the indu inductive logic. All, uh, the whole, whether it is Hindu logic or Buddhist logic or Jain logic, it, is, it has been inductive logic, whereas the Western logic has been that, uh, that Socratic uh, principle that is deductive logic, from what you said about from the theory to example. Ours is from example or observation to theory. Uh, so, that is what is the basic difference. So, the basic point, I mean, one important point you made is about the harmonious living. Harmonious living, which is uh, the result so, so of the Shastra. Key, so, so, the key point there was, when you do science, why am I doing this? That's a question that's never asked. That's somebody else's job. Yeah, of course, that is because that is not controlled by church. Of course, you made a point that it is something which is controlled by church, but I, I don't know whether it is really controlled. Then, it's still reflected in different ways. Right mm. now, it may not be controlled. In fact, they are, the people, they are the people who persecuted, uh, who prosecuted uh, Copernicus, who prosecuted Galileo, right. and who killed that uh, Bruno, the, the mathem mathematician Bruno. And <laughs> all this happened as late as in 16th century. No, and uh, for me, the think tanks in America and stuff who define all these policies are mm. a reflection of the same thinking. Just that we don't call it the church, but pretty much it's the same thing. Of course, you have uh, quoted a lot from in this paper. Of course, you have quoted a lot from C.K. Raju's book. I never, I didn't know C.K. Raju. We had invited oh, him. Only, but, uh, only then I saw on the YouTube and then came to know something about him. So, any questions, please? Hi, uh, Madhu. I'm Darpan Majumdar, this side. My question to you is uh, one thing which in your study, uh, you know, in uh, the Shastrarth is a, is a perspective of where my truth versus your truth in a small t. Uh, the other perspective, though, uh, which I kind of trying to understand as I, as I might take my baby steps, is about Samvad, which is about the truth, which is a capital T is both of us are trying to have a discussion. Okay. So in your perspective of whatever you have studied, uh, what is the school of thought which seems to be much closer to our Indic tradition? So, Sushan, you want to answer that? 
Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Very great scholars like Korad Subramanian, sir. But then I, can, I, try, I will try to answer. There is what is called Vada, Jalpa, and Vitanda. Vada is, it is somewhat, it is comparable to what we call brainstorming nowadays. Because all of us, this, we sit together and then we try to know what is the truth. I have no agenda. I don't have an ambition to say prove my point. I am open-minded. And then I, we, we all, we are all striving to, striving to know truth. So that is the reason why in Bhagavad Gita, Vada Pravadata Maham, Krishna says, Vada is a manifestation of the divine. So that is what we say. And then in, you know, in opposition to that, there is Jalpa. Jalpa is, I have an ambition, I have a theory and then I want to establish my theory and by hook and crook I want to refute your theory. So that is Jalpa. And Vitanda is much worse. I don't have any theory, but I, I have the simple agenda to destroy you. So that is that Vitanda, that is the lowest level. So this is Vada, Jalpa and Vitanda. So the Indian tradition, it gave a lot of premium to Vada and wherever uh, all the all our Swamiji's and all our answers, whether it is whether it is the Shankaracharya tradition, Ramanuja tradition or Madhva tradition, all these people, they debated. But then uh, they debated according to certain rules. And then uh, this Vada was, the, uh, the principle of Vada was very, very prominent there. You want to add something? No, I am good. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, this issue is discussed in Yayadrishnam. Uh, Dr. Aravindra Agar is referring to Nyayadrishan where it is called Katha. Katha has cast three parts, Vada Jalpa Vitanda. In Jalpa, generally they go for uh, 21 uh, uh, Hetu, these things are there. Uh, they describe, I mean, uh, discussed in Nyayadrishanam. And uh, this kind of uh, thing will take one to establish his theory. Khandana Khandakhaja is for Vitanda. She has refuted all theories, including Panin Sotras. He wanted. Thank you. To help me, you can do two things. You can go to the subscribe button on my YouTube and subscribe. We need more subscribers there. Uh, secondly, I get lots of emails on people saying, how do we donate? How can we help you? Uh, you go to rajivmalhotra.com or you go to infinityfoundation.com and you can hit the donate button. You can donate in dollars. There are different ways mentioned. If you want to donate in rupees, there is a column called uh, Infinity Foundation India and you click that and there are instructions on how you can donate in India.